0: Jesus, we're just uh, here today looking to just receive a touch of that power that's held just within your name. And so um, I don't know if you're like someone in the room that's discouraged. I don't know if you're someone in the room that needs healing, needs hope, needs just even kind of like a, as you're watching online, just like a fresh encouragement from him. Lord, would you, in the powerful name of Jesus, move in our lives today. We come with expectation and excitement for what you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, uh, we have today come to the last sermon in our series on fasting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Didn't know if you were allowed to be excited about that, did you? And uh, I'm excited about that. But I, I wanted to have just a minute. We um, Some of our staff, some of the oversight team, we were together this week just at a learning event on increasing the spiritual temperature of our church, increasing our dependence on the Holy Spirit, and just really feel stirred up that a a new move of God is just on its way, and that we're going to get to participate in that. And one of the things that kind of stirs up our faith, I find, is when we hear testimonies. And so this is my friend Alex. Come here, Alex. Alex texted me uh, a story about fasting yesterday, which was a mistake, because then I said you need to come over here so you're in the camera. Come to me. This is my buddy Alex. You can take off your mask too. Everybody can see how good looking you are that way. There you go. Um, uh, He texted me a story about fasting and I said, would you like to share that tomorrow at the gathering? Uh, It it wasn't really a question either, was it? So Alex, would you share with us a little bit about your fasting experience this week?
1: Hello. Uh, My name is Alex. And so I've been, I've done fasting before, um, but This one was a a pretty special uh, period of fasting. It was a very, it was a very short fast that I did. Um, But let me preface first. So I work on an art and theology journal at Moody Bible Institute. Um, But this semester I'm doing it remotely, and I've worked very closely with the design team who's made all the layouts. And the due date was Thursday, and that night I was meaning to have a call with the lead designer. And we were supposed to talk about the final uh, mar- like markings and then send it off because it was due that night. And then I got the call and uh, I heard crying over the phone. And she said that she had lost the files. And she, like, it was gone. <laughs> so we, it wasn't all gone. It was, it was back to like, a, a, like 10 hours worth of work was gone. So I, we couldn't make it that deadline. So I called the whole team to fast until lunch the next day because um i believe in fasting i believe that we are meant to groan um, to the lord uh, together but i didn't know what to expect so i just fasted i didn't know who else fasted i just encouraged my team to there's 10 people on the team and a few hours after the fast uh, when the design team got together to start rebuilding what they had lost i got a text saying that the files were recovered um and so we were able to send it off just within an hour or two after that and so that was not expected but uh, highly appreciated and I, I really believe that it's because the, uh, God heard our uh, cry um, not that he does something this spectacular all the time and I fasted a lot before um, but I think because so many people are fasting together um, that's, that was just amazing so, awesome. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks, Alex. Yeah, that's for the Lord. Yeah, we, we say... Thanks, bud. Here, can you take this? honey? There we go. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Dallas Willard is the master of spiritual disciplines, of writing about discipleship in the spiritual life. We can't end a sermon series on a spiritual practice without... Hearing from Dallas, and he says this Fasting is indeed feasting. When we have learned well to fast, we will not suffer from it. It will bring strength and joy. Fasting is one way of seeking and finding the actual kingdom of God present and active in our lives. And because we are then more immersed in the reality of the kingdom, our lives take on the character and power of Jesus. This will assure us that our work is his work and that he is working. Though we act and work hard, it is, after all, not our battle and the outcome is in his hands. Fasting is one way of seeking and finding the actual kingdom of God present and active in our lives. Today is Palm Sunday and nothing beckons us further into the kingdom than this day when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Today's Palm Sunday, it's the day that begins Holy Week. It's the day that Jesus brings his earthly ministry to a close. Jesus, after his resurrection, ascends and begins his heavenly ministry. He stands at the right hand of God the Father, interceding, praying for us. But Palm Sunday begins the end of his earthly ministry, this week in which Jesus died and suffers for our salvation, this week when Jesus rises again, offering us freedom and forgiveness. It's a common practice for the followers of Jesus to slow down, to reflect, On the activity of each day, although to be fair, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, and the following Sunday, they tend to get more attention than the rest. Today is Palm Sunday. You received a palm branch when you walked in today. We sang a song with the word Hosanna in it. What does all this mean? And since we're wrapping up a series on fasting, what does Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday have to do with fasting? We're gonna see if we can accomplish all of this in a little bit more in the next 25 minutes. Let's begin here in Matthew 21, starting in verse one. Matthew 21, this is Matthew's account of that first Palm Sunday. It says this, now when they, they being Jesus and his disciples, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." Jesus and his disciples are in Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. It's actually where they camp out for most of Holy Week. It's just a stone's throw away from the gates of Jerusalem, and Jesus sends his disciples ahead. He sends them in twos. Now, if you've hung around Regen for a while, you know that we make a big deal out of Jesus asking us to do things in twos. Not solo heroes, but in community, we lead in the kingdom. And so Jesus here even sends two disciples to go and get a donkey. Matthew 21.4 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. It goes on to quote from Zechariah 9. By the way, Zechariah Zechariah is quoted more by the gospel writers than any other Old Testament book. Uh, Matthew is letting us know that what is about to happen in these moments, what is about to happen in these moments has been a long time coming. This is about to bring to fulfillment God's promises. And so it says this in verses six through eight. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he, Jesus, sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and there were others that cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The disciples do as Jesus asks. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He is greeted with great celebration and great honor. The crowd spreads their cloaks on the road. They lay branches, probably palm branches, across the road. This is how you greet royalty. This is how you greet a conquering hero. Verses 9 through 11 say, And the crowds went before him and followed him. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who who is this? And, And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowds that gather around him, that go before him and behind him, they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Son of David, that is a title of royalty. God's people, Israel, have been waiting for a king of of David's line to come, and now here he is. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a special title too. It, It refers to God's chosen Savior. It refers to God's anointed one the Messiah. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he is welcomed as King and Messiah, the one who fulfills in his person all of God's promises to his people. In him, Paul says, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And so the people cry out, Hosanna! That's a word that has two meanings at once. It it means help! Please save me! It means hooray! salvation is here Hosanna is the word that you say to get the lifeguard to jump off of her chair and swim towards you as you're drowning it's the word that you say when the lifeguard reaches you Hosanna help save me please Hosanna hooray salvation is here In verses 10 through 11, we get a sense of differing reactions in and around Jerusalem. The people coming from outside of Jerusalem into the city with Jesus lay their cloaks on the road and cut palm branches. They're welcoming their king into his city. But the people inside Jerusalem itself have a note of skepticism and cynicism. As Jesus is greeted as king and Messiah by most, a few name Jesus as simply a prophet from Nazareth. And the saying goes can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is a significant demotion for Jesus, this, but this cynical, skeptical faction will soon win out because by Friday, shouts of celebration will turn to cries of accusation. Crucify him. Crucify him. The welcome Jerusalem gives Jesus is only momentary. It's passing. Jesus comes into Jerusalem as King and Messiah, and he is rejected just a few days later, but these events are a shadow of what is to come. These events are a shadow of what is to come. Because Jesus will come again in glory. And all of those who have come to love him, even those who do not see him, will rejoice with an inexpressible joy on that day what I'm saying this morning is that the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem foreshadows his second coming in glory the apostles creed it's a foundational document from the early church of the statement it's a statement of our faith it says that we expect Jesus to come again to judge the living and the dead Jesus came into the world once in humility he will come again in glory. Jesus came to Jerusalem once and was rejected as King and Messiah. He will come again, and that time he will be worshipped and enthroned there forever. This is important. As followers of Jesus, we have a singular hope that Jesus is still working We believe that that work will come to a complete and final end when Jesus returns as king and ruler to put every wrong to right, to establish his kingdom on earth. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, it's where Paul starts telling us about Jesus' return. I think it's really interesting to note that Thessalonians was the first letter Paul wrote. The first letter that Paul writes to a church in the ancient world is a letter about the return of Jesus. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16-17, through 17, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord Jesus talks about his own return in Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Don't miss that Jesus' return. Here's our faith. This is what we confess. This is what we trust. Jesus' return will be in power, will be in authority, and will be in judgment. will be re- in power and authority and judgment. Jesus will return with a cry of command. not the cry of an infant at Christmas, but a cry of command. God's people believed that Jesus have always believed that Jesus would come as a military ruler. That's what, that's what the Old Testament believers they were expecting in Jesus' day, a military ruler to save them from their oppressors, to save them from Rome. But instead of coming as a military ruler the first time, Jesus reserves that for the second. The first time, Jesus comes as a suffering servant to save his people from their truest enemy, their truest oppressor, sin and death and the devil. Now, Jesus will return and come as that mighty ruler. We'll see that in a few minutes. And he will put all wrongs to right and establish and usher in a better kingdom. We believe that Jesus's return will be an authority and power and judgment. We believe that Jesus's return will be bodily. I want you to stop and think about that somewhere in the known universe, Jesus's body is. He has geographical X, Y locations somewhere in the known universe or unknown. But his body also exists in a world that is not quite yet here, but is still breaking into our midst. His return will be bodily. We also believe that Jesus' return is imminent. It could happen at any second. And there are always going to be those who try to predict when Jesus comes back, But what's interesting is that in Matthew 24, Jesus himself says, I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows that. What Jesus does say is that we are to be watchful What Jesus does say is that we are to be living with a sense of anticipation and expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. This drives obedience. This drives evangelism. If I believe that when Jesus is over, when Jesus comes, the game is over and it all goes back in the box, you better believe I'm going to tell somebody about it. The only thing you're not going to be able to do in heaven is say, I'm sorry, and tell somebody about Jesus. we got work to do. This drives our hope. Because no matter how bad the world is, no matter how much pain and suffering we experience in this life, Jesus has the final word and is coming back to put it all together. What I'm saying today is that the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, that first Palm Sunday, foreshadows Jesus' second coming in glory and power. So what are we supposed to do while we wait for Jesus' return? Would anybody like to guess? We fast. We fast. Turn with me to Matthew 9. Flip back to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 14 and 15. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? The disciples of the Pharisees, the disciples of John had noticed, disciples of Jesus were just putting on a little They always seem to have a lunch packed for them. I remember they were fasting. These guys are over here eating and Crunch. What's the deal, Jesus? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? The answer to that is no. What do we do when we're with the groom? We hit that cookie table over and over and over again. Can I get an amen for that? Okay, this is the Mahoning Valley people. Do you know... We need to pray for our our country. Do you know that they don't do cookie tables in other parts of the world? Come, Lord Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? No, of course not, Jesus says. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. See, Jesus' disciples, they're being accused of faithlessness, they're not fasting. That's what good Jews do. Remember, they fast twice a week, and now these guys that are hanging out with Jesus, they're healing people on the Sabbath, they're breaking all sorts of rules, they're not fasting. And Jesus says the fast has been temporarily suspended because the groom, he, Jesus, we are his bride, right? The church is his bride, he is the groom. Jesus, as long as the groom is with them, they don't fast. Someday the groom will be taken away with them, and they will fast Jesus says that his presence of the time of fasting. I have charts. Who's excited? I've got charts. So here's the first chart. Um, when we are with Jesus, the disciples faced. Let's hit that cookie table three more times. We can work it off later. But without Jesus, when he ascends, fasting is what he says. But that's not all. Because it turns out that while waiting for, for Jesus' first coming... The faithful people who were anticipating his first coming, they fasted. In Luke 2, we meet a woman, a prophetess named Anna. I think I have this. There was a prophetess, Anna. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. So let's stop and think about this for a second. She had a husband for seven years. At this time in history, it was uncommon for a girl to get married 13, 14, 15, let's call it 15. She's married for seven years. She's 22. She's been single for, somebody do the math. 62? 62 years. So what's she been doing? She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, that very moment, by the way, is Jesus is brought into the temple as a little boy for the first time. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's been waiting six decades for the redemption of Jerusalem. She has fasted and prayed day and night for six decades. She's waiting for the King and the Messiah to come, and he comes, and you know what she does? She stops fasting. Instead, She she tells everybody that the redemption of Jerusalem is here. Anna displayed her hope for the coming of the Messiah with fasting. She embodied her hope in the king's coming through fasting. So we have a better chart. Look at this chart now. We have Jesus. Before Jesus, they were fasting in anticipation for his arrival. And then with Jesus, they feasted. And then they resumed their fast, but hang on. If you've got a Bible and you want to flip there, you can go to Revelation 19, because we're going to come back to there in a couple seconds. Revelation 19. Very end of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Listen to how heaven is described in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. I know that's small, but it says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, us, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what heaven is? It's a dinner party. It's a dinner party. Oh, it ain't no, let's sit on the clouds with our angel wings and hope that we have a magazine to pass the time with. We're eating good food. And our waistlines never expand, our sugars never go up. It's a a party, and so this is actually what the Bible says about fasting. Go to this last one for me, Tess. Before Jesus, we fast in anticipation. With Jesus, we feast. The church on earth, we're now fasting in hope. The church in heaven right now, they're feasting. They're celebrating because they're with the bridegroom again. And so John Piper simply says this, fasting is the physical expression of heart hunger for the second coming of Jesus. Jesus. fasting is a physical expression of the heart's hunger for the second coming of Jesus. I want to introduce today a concept and a practice. I want to maybe reintroduce a a concept and a practice. Here's the concept. Jesus is coming back. Thank you. Let's try that again. Jesus is coming back. Amen. We live in the time between the times, the time between his first coming and his second coming. One theologian I like, he calls it the already, but not yet. Jesus has already won our salvation. He cried out from the cross, it is finished, and it is. My sins have been forgiven. My freedom from death and darkness has been secured once and for all. The kingdom is breaking into our midst in and through us even now, and yet we're not there yet, are we? We're not there yet. There's still sin. There's still sickness. There's still sadness. There is still death. The enemy still prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We're not there yet. And so Paul describes this, this time in between the times in Romans 8 beautifully. This is what he says. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. All creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. I mean, in February, wait for spring. It's nothing in comparison to how all of creation is waiting for this moment when Jesus returns bodily. See, it says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And I love this parenthetical. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Right now, right now, there is groaning. Right now, there is curse. Right now, there is suffering. Right now, there is sickness. Right now, there is death. Right now, there is decay. But that is not the whole story because soon and very soon, there will be glory. Soon and very soon, there will be release. Soon and very soon, there will be freedom for us, for all of creation. And so what do we do in the meantime? Scripture says we wait patiently. We wait confidently. And you know how we embody that? We fast. We embody our hope in the imminent bodily return of Jesus. We practice fasting like Anna. We fast with hope. When we see a world marked by violence and hunger and evil and bloodshed and we long for Jesus to come back and put it all to right, we fast. When we see a world marked by hopelessness and addiction, we fast. When we stand at the graveside of a child or a parent or a sibling, when we recognize that this world is fundamentally flawed, fundamentally not the way it's supposed to be, we fast. We see with the eyes of faith our desperate need for Jesus' return in glory. So we fast. We embody our hope. And in our fasting, there is a groan that is too deep for words. A groan that comes to full expression in our fasting. And the groan in our fast sounds like the cry on that Palm Sunday, Hosanna! 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 Help us! Please save us! And also, salvation is here! We fast and we wait. We wait for Jesus to once again come riding. Not humbly on a donkey but in glory and authority and power on a white stallion Revelation 19 verse 11 then I saw heaven opened and behold the white horse he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war "'His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. "'He had a name written that no one knew except himself. "'He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. "'And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses.' Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We need this Jesus. Jesus. We need this Jesus to return in power and glory. We need him today. We need him every moment and in our waiting, in our confident hope, in our expectation that at any moment he might return, we fast. And we say, come Lord Jesus. We say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we say with the church in every place, we cry out with every tribe and tongue and nation, we cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. We look at the sickness and suffering and sadness of our world and we say, Come, Lord Jesus. And while we wait, we posture ourselves today, Lord Jesus to be agents of that inbreaking coming a foretaste of your coming now we we rise up to be the people who stand against sadness and sickness and suffering who stand against sin who point to a new and better way and yet all the while saying come please save us lord jesus I pray this in jesus name amen
2: Here at REGEN, we practice response time after the sermon because we don't want to just hear God's word. We want to be wise builders who build our lives on the word of God. And so this morning, my invitation to you is what area of life do you need Jesus to come into? What area of your life do you need rescue? Is it sickness? Is it sadness? Is it um, emotional health that you're walking through? Is it a loved one? who's walking through a difficult time and you can't bear up under the burden of that? Um, Is it grief? What area do you need to invite the Savior? What area of your life do you need to say, Hosanna, come Lord Jesus? So we're going to take a few minutes and I want to invite you just as you think kind of through your life and maybe the things that feel difficult to see what area is he highlighting? What area does he say to you, I want to come, I have something to say to that. So let's, let's take a few moments. Father, we confess that the mundane dulls us, that we become consumed with our daily to-do lists and we forget about the urgency of your coming. Father, we confess that sometimes the things that overwhelm us seem so big and you seem so small. And so today, Father, we invite you in Jesus, we invite you to be our Savior, to rescue us in the areas where we feel so weak, where we feel so needy, to speak to the places where we feel so broken. Father, I pray for those today who have lost their first love, who have drifted from you, who have lost sight of what it means to walk with you daily. I pray that in this place and in this time that they would take that step towards you, that they would cry Hosanna to you, and that they would, in finding you, find renewed joy, renewed peace, and renewed strength. We ask these things in your name. Amen.
0: If God's getting your attention somehow today and you feel like you want to receive prayer, our oversight team would be glad to do that with you. We're going to do it just a little differently because of an event we have coming right after church. So if you go out the doors and kind of U-turn into that hallway, my office is down there. Overseers, if you could just like use our, my office or that hallway or something, is that okay? Can we be flexy today, flexible? Um, and then um, I want to invite Stacey and Hayden to come. Um, Steph, can you come with me too? Um, as our church has... Grown a lot in this season. Um, there's a lot of faces that we only maybe know half of, right? Come on here. And um, uh, but Stacy and Hayden have a big event going on in their life. Um, Stacy and Hayden are moving south uh, after Easter, so Stacy can be grandma and Hayden can be uncle. And um, they are they are doing uh, what Abraham did. They are up and going to a place they do not know. <laughs> Um, and leaving home and everything behind and we've gotten to be Stacy and Hayden's pastors for seven years six whatever a long time and um, it has been our joy to do that and as a church what we do not do is we do not in a family you do not leave a family you are sent for season aren't you so we wanted to send Stacey and Hayden so I'm going to pray for them and I want to invite you if you feel comfortable just like raise a hand toward them as we pray for them together um Yes, yeah, so let me pray. Um, Lord, thank you for Stacey and Hayden and for uh, the gift of being a part of their life the last few years. And thank you that you uh, invite us to do uncomfortable things. Um, thank you for making it so clear to Stacey and Hayden every step of the way that this is the move that they are to be making as hard and bittersweet as it is. Lord, I pray um, as they move to move south. I pray, Father, that you would provide a job. I purvey, pr- pr- provide a home. I pray that you would provide most importantly, like a church family that would surround them um, and love them and care for them as they are so used to being cared for. Um, Lord, I pray that right now there would be uh, people Hayden's age praying for a friend, um, and that um, he ooh okay he would be that person. Um, so. Um, we love them, and we are so thankful for them, and um, just treasure them uh, in our lives. And we give you thanks that in heaven, um, all of our, our see you laters come to an end. Um, and so we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I love you. We'll see you next week. Grace and peace.